The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hey, I'm Zach, and one day I'm going to make movies, but right now I'm young, dumb, and not nearly as good-looking as my co-hosts. So with the help of... I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. I'm Steven. I'm going to learn what makes a movie great by watching all the classics I've skipped over. So pop the corn and turn your cell phone to silent, because it's time for a new episode of Zach on Film. This week, we're all working down at the docks on the waterfront as we miraculously look at the movie On the Waterfront. Starring Marlon Brando, this week on Zach on Film. Hey, Zach. Hey, Steven. So, uh, you've had a couple of extra weeks now to take a look at On the Waterfront. Yes, I have. And, um, I don't know. I, uh, I am someone who's not a big fan of this movie, although it is, you know, culturally, historically significant. Right. Roger Ebert listed as one of his greatest movies of all time. Yeah, I've seen a couple of lists of it on there now. I'm... Why is this movie good? Why don't you tell us, Zach? Why is this movie good? Why is it important? Well, I think why it's important and why it's good actually breaks down to a couple different... I don't think the reasons are the same for why it's important and why it's good. Uh, why it's good? Um, you, I think, there's some, I think there's some pretty good acting in here, which I think is helped a lot from the cinematography... And and then sometimes help and or hindered by the editing of the film. Okay. Uh, the story is compelling. Uh, I think people are probably drawn to it from the rise of of the bum to the hero storyline that we've seen multiple times in films. Um, why it's important? Uh, I think again you need to look at the the acting theory that's brought in to this movie, and then also the backstory of the, the the story and how it came about for on the waterfront well, it makes that important let's let's talk about just what is this story about to begin with matthew what what is this story about it's about two and a half hours long yeah 108 well, minutes do you mean what's it about or what yeah, what, what's what's about? the what's the story about it's what what happens in the movie it's about a young boy named johnny who could have been a contender. And Johnny... Terry. Terry. Yeah, Terry. <laughs> Terry. Bob. Why do you ask me to do these? I'm bad at this. I've read Wolverine 400 times and I couldn't do the thing. And now I'm trying to tell you. Okay, Terry. <laughs> he works on the docks, right? And now mm. he's a dock worker. He used to be something. And then there's a whole bunch of the whole crimey thing going on. And essentially... He turns on his friends and and he basically breaks the whole thing down. And then I kind of fell asleep near the end. Yeah. So poor Terry Malloy. Yes. Grew up in a poor situation. Yeah. Living in the boys' home with his brother, John, uh, his brother Charlie. Uh, Charlie, 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 and Terry. Mm-hmm. And um. One way that you can make it in the world is to have a benefactor. And in the case of these two boys, 
then their, their benefactor was Johnny Friendly, yep. played by Lee J. Uh, Cobb. A great character actor, by the way. Yeah. Um, and uh, Terry went on to become a minor boxing personality. And then finally got out of boxing either because he took one too many hits or whatever. It doesn't really, I don't remember exactly right. why he had Well, to it seems boxing. that he left no, Terry, boxing after his fight was fixed. Right, right, right. Yeah, he, he threw yeah. the fight because John Johnny Friendly told him to. Right. Yeah. And more importantly to the story, his actually brother told him. Right, yeah, his brother told him. Because his yeah. brother, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I yeah mean, he'll do anything his, his brother, brother wants. Yeah, his brother becomes one of uh Johnny Friendly's like right hand man. Yeah. Yeah, he's the he's basically the 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 accountant of everything, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Played by Rod Steiger. Um and then uh, just kind of being muscle for mm-hmm. Johnny Friendly. Mm-hmm. Uh he is asked to go and tell one of the neighborhood kids, one of these dock worker guys, uh that he wants to go talk to him up on the roof, found one of his pigeons. The uh, kid goes up there and is killed, pushed off the top of the roof. Yeah. Terry is nowhere there. Marlon Brando's the character is nowhere just there. just like him, falls to the ground. Yeah. And uh, ah. then <laughs> then Terry starts to wonder, you know, hey, I didn't know they were he was, they were going to go up there and push him off. If mm-hmm. I would have known that, I, I may not have wanted to do that. And, of course, that opens up a police investigation. And um, what's the kid's name? I forget his name. Uh, her, his sister comes to, to, uh, oh, Eddie help out. Yeah. Uh, Eddie Doyle, um, or Edie Doyle played by Eva Marie Saint oh, yeah, comes to, uh, to kind of find out who did this. And of course, Terry is smitten by her and she wants him to do the right thing. And Carl, uh, Malden, who plays mm-hmm. the, uh, local Catholic priest, father, uh, Barry is yeah. all righteous and indignant about how the dock workers have to stand up to the mob. Mm-hmm. And over the course of the film, Brando's character starts to have regrets and starts to have thoughts and starts to realize that the people that he's with are not the greatest people in the world, and he doesn't have to be a nobody. He doesn't have to be a bum like everybody tells him he is. He could be somebody, and he decides that in order to become somebody, he will testify against the mob mm-hmm. who has infiltrated the union, he will he will testify against the mob and give himself a better conscience and and hopefully become a better person in the end. And of course, because he's trying to break the union controlled by the mob, the mob right. has him beat up. And of course, he still stands his ground. He breaks the mob. He goes into work. Everybody follows behind. End of story. It's a it's a tale of redemption. Of this character, Terry, from really a, just a thug mm-hmm. to someone that has a moral conviction and, and now finally understands the difference between right and wrong. So from that He's a standpoint, thug with principles. from that standpoint, I mean, the story is good from here's somebody that can redeem himself. Here's somebody that could be somebody. I mean, there is that famous speech that everybody parodies. I could have been somebody. I mm-hmm. could have been a contender. Here is somebody who's finally making something of himself. By standing up for what's right instead of doing what everybody tells him to do in the movie. Now, of course, on the way, he loses all his friends. He loses his brother. He gets the crap kicked out of him by uh, mobsters. Yeah. He may or may not get the girl at the end. We don't know. I like to think he does. You like to think he does? Eh, it looks like they so will. So from, from a story standpoint, I guess there's something interesting about that. 
to me, it just feels like as you watch this film, it feels like this film happens over the course of three or four days. Mm -hmm. And so it just seems like it's too fast for someone to have that big of a conviction, that big of a turnaround. I, I would say maybe a week because I know when the cops show up, they're like, Hey, you're Terry. Here's a, uh, here's a subpoena to appear in court on Friday. And so he's only got a few days before Friday comes around and that's where the mob, uh, Lee J. Cobb's character gets all Johnny Friendly, uh, gets all worked up over things. I think I would agree with you in the sense of it's too quick of a turnaround for someone to go or to change their moral standings, essentially, in that amount of a day. If the person who died at the beginning was just some random person, but he wasn't, he was Terry's friend and he knew him personally. Right. And so I think having that big of an emotional uh, like kick to the head that was really caused by him. And he, mm-hmm. he started mm-hmm. the whole motion of why he'd have mm-hmm. he'd died. I yeah. think that justifies the quick turnaround of morals in such a short amount of time because yeah. he directly influenced the murder of one of his friends. Right. And, and well, I guess, I mean, go ahead, Matthew. He clearly has, uh, he, I mean, he, he's clearly torn about this, even from the very beginning. He's very clearly not happy. And the whole contender speech is an example of how, for a long time, he feels like he's been making bad decisions, making the wrong decisions. So I can see that catalyzing moment of uh, throwing the dummy off the building. <laughs> Sorry, I can't get past that. I'm a jerk. But I can see that catalyzing moment being something that would be a big enough trigger to make you say, okay, now I'm going to do it. Now I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to fix this whole situation because I, you know, I broke it or I'm part of what broke it. So that didn't necessarily, uh, the time issue that you mentioned though, Stephen, is an issue for me too, because I have no idea really how long the events in the film. Well, like I said, oh. the, the cops show up at some point in the film, a couple of days after uh, the the character is killed and say, here's a summons. You have to appear in court on Friday. Mm-hmm. And from that point on, you know, it's not weeks. You know, it's several days before he has to appear in court and decide what he's going to do. And, there, and then there's probably a, what, maybe a day, a day after, after the, a day or two after. Friday. Yeah. Where they're hunting him down and trying yeah. to, to chase him off. It's gotta be Monday when he shows back up on the docks oh, to, sure. to go to work. Sure. I guess also, Rodrigo, I, I'm a little concerned about the Edie character played by Eva Marie Saint. Here, here she's starting to fall in love with this with this no good Nick, right. and um, then she finds out that he was involved in her brother's murder, and she still seems to be okay with that. No, she really doesn't. I know, but I mean, by the end of the film, like, she's like, him, she kicks him to the curb. Well, okay, so she kicks him to the curb, and then he comes back. And, and essentially like, rapes her in a, in, in her yeah, room. Yeah, that was weird. Um, and, and, you know, really you have to think about two things. One, you know, she develops feelings for him and then realizes that he's involved. And two, I mean, have you seen Marlon Brando? He's, mm. he's, a, he's a very pretty man. Very, very handsome. He's, got, yeah, he's like, very his, pretty. His he's got, eyes, a, he's got the mascara on. Like, <laughs> yes, they look like the eye of Horus. Um, <laughs> that was the style in 54. Yeah, I mean. One of that Cleopatra eye. Yeah, that's, sure. that's, that's what he's got. Even going. if you're a longshoreman, that's what Right, right. Uh, he's, he's the most beautiful 
dock worker in the world. Uh, it takes him an hour to get the smoky eyes. I think <laughs> I, what's what's interesting about this uh, this movie is that it's not just uh, Terry's story. It's right. the story of this dock, right? Or, 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 you know, of the waterfront. So you see, you actually in this movie, surprisingly, you see um, Edie's character arc as well. You know, it's like first she's into him, then she discovers what he's about, then she ends up accepting it. Really, because she finds that he is still worth it, and that you know, I mean, she she believes him that he didn't know that it was that it was his fault, you know, and he right, tells right. her that. And at first, she doesn't, but then you know, she's overwhelmed by his amazing chin, yeah, and <laughs> and ends up going around. You know, if if you look at the dock workers, they start completely in the mob's pocket, and eventually turn around. You know, one by one, they get changed. You know, mm-hmm. the priest. Well, he yeah, I mean, Father, gets, I mean, Father yeah, Barry's exactly. character does a whole change, too, because at the yeah. very beginning of the film, Carl Mar- Malden is, is, is essentially preaching peacefulness. The right. only way that you can break these people, and he's calling the dock workers to church and giving them lectures and saying, the only way you can break the mob is by going and testifying. Who's with me? I will stand behind you, and we can go down, the police, down to the police together. And then as mm-hmm. the movie progresses, you start seeing him smoking more. He starts hardening up more. He starts drinking more and then yeah. by the end of the f- film i mean he gets bananas and bottles and apples tossed at him as he gives that speech over the dead body of another character mm-hmm. that was going to go testify and by the end he punches marlon brando's character he punches terry out in the bar because he's like don't be stupid kid yeah and suddenly has to resort to violence to knock some sense into into terry i think it's interesting from his character that uh, i mean if you if you analyze his character and his approach to helping the dock workers at the beginning, he brings them all into where he feels comfortable. Right. In he the brings church. them into the church. Right. And that goes horribly wrong when the mob like terrorizes yeah, yeah, the yeah. church and starts mm-hmm. beating the crap out of people. And from that moment on, he gets farther and farther away from where he feels comfortable and he feels like all the right answers are and starts meeting the people. Yeah. And his big turning point is when he's literally inside the belly of the beast, inside the ship over the body of this man who they've, who the mob has dumped a load, a cargo load onto him and crushed him Mm -hmm. to death. That's where he literally goes inside and confronts the demon, his demon head on and makes a stronger connection with those dock workers who are, um, sympathetic or anti mob Mm -hmm. sympathetic to let's get rid of these bums. Right. So, I mean, every character here goes through some change, even even a Charlie, yeah. who's kind of a minor character, is just, you know, he's so, he's so, I'm with you, I'm with you, Johnny Friendly, I'm your right-hand man, I'll do anything you want, I'll smack my brother around, I'll tell him what to do, and then Johnny Friendly says, you gotta kill your brother, yeah, and you gotta do it, mm-hmm. or else something's gonna happen to you. And so we get that moment where they're in the cab, the famous moment, the famous uh, uh, exchange, and Charlie just can't pull the trigger on his brother. He loves his younger brother so much that there's no way, even for the mob, even for his job, even for his own life, that he would kill his brother. And he realizes the only reason that uh, Terry's in there is yes, because, because of, him. of him. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think he actually had that realization. Until that moment when he reminds him that he was the one that told Terry that he 
that it wasn't his night and that he had to throw the fight. Right. And that sent him down the path of ending up at the docks and not realizing his full potential. Rodrigo, Zach made a comment a moment ago about, so the story is about redemption. We've already kind of touched on this and that's why the story is important. But also there's this, this change in acting that happens in this movie that, that Zach kind of touched on that was also important. Right. Uh, this movie has been regarded as kind of like that, that, that transitional point between a much more kind of histrionic theatrical acting and, and a more like, you know, quote, you know, more natural type of acting. Let, let's ask uh, Zach, a, like, a, ask you a question, Zach. Do you know what yes. business is? When is you tell an actor business? that they have to have some business, what does that mean? Oh, I I honestly don't know. I've never even heard of that term. Okay, so Rodrigo, continue and, and fill us in on what's business. I'm actually not familiar with that term oh. either. So business is something to, something that you're doing while you're acting. You're not just standing there. You know, if you go back and compare um, Maltese Falcon to On the Waterfront, mm-hmm. acting is very different because, as Rodrigo said, it's more theatrical, you know. Uh, Sam Spade goes over to the desk and he sits there and doesn't really do anything while he's acting. Yeah, because other people around him are talking. Mm-hmm. And then when it's his turn, he suddenly becomes animated. In this movie, we start to see actors really developing business, things that they're doing while they're while they're in character. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people point out, as far as the Brando character goes, there's this one scene where he and Edie are walking down the street and she drops her glove. And he picks it up, and instead of handing it back to her, Brando just kind of improvises, putting the glove on his hand to see how it would fit, and, you know, just basically as he's walking and talking, he's doing more than just walking as a robot. He's mm-hmm. doing stuff. Playing with it. Yeah, he's playing with the glove. He's playing with the pigeons. He's, uh, at the very beginning, he's messing around all the time with the zipper on his coat, zipping it up and down and fiddling with it. That's business, giving your actor something to do while they're in character. And as the character uh, that Brando plays progresses, as Terry matures, as Terry moves through his rehabilitation and towards his redemption, all his fidgetiness goes away. And he starts to get this calmness over him as a character in that in that piece, which makes, you know, which is is played is done through the acting. So. That's that's one of the things that people are pointing to is that Brando just doesn't walk through it. He lives and he goes through tries to this piece. Yeah. Hmm. And so I think that when you're working with actors, and it's really tough when you're working with uh, beginners, beginning actors. I don't yeah. want to say amateurs because oftentimes that has a negative connotation to it. But you're working with beginners, oftentimes that's how they think acting is. I'm sitting here. And you've got your line and I'll sit here and wait till you're done. And then I will respond. And maybe I'm a, a, a giggly fidgety girl. Right. And I'm like, Oh, and I'm moving my hands and twiddling, playing with my hair. And Oh, Zach, you're so fun and interesting. And then when it's your turn to talk, I stop doing the twiddling of my hair and my giggling mm-hmm. and my fidgeting. And then you talk into your line. And then when it's my turn again, it's like, Oh yes. And then I jump back into the fidgeting and, 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 and twirling of the hair again. If I was in the moment, if I was actually acting as that character, I'd be doing that the entire time. And so I think that's something that you as a director are going to have to work with actors in order to try to bring that performance out. They're not just their character when they're reading their lines. 
they're in their character the entire time that they're in their scene. Now, some some actors go to extremes on that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, what's Johnny his name? Depp Johnny Depp and um, the Matas in Kansas. Um, what's his name? Truman Capote? No, no, no. Uh, um, hold on. He, I'm Philip Seymour Hoffman? Philip Seymour Hoffman. Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel, Daniel Day-Lewis is another one where it's basically like, for the entire time that we're in this production, you will address me as President mm-hmm. Lincoln, or you will address me as Truman Capote. Yeah. And some of those people yeah. are really kind of weird to work with in that way. Yeah, Jim Carrey did that during Man in the Moon. Oh, did he? Yeah, where he had to be... Yeah, um, where he was Andy Kaufman. Yeah. To the point where he was being as awful as Kaufman could be, and people are like, yeah, a little too realistic there, Jimmy. Yeah, yeah. Is that a, do you think that's a problem, uh, Rodrigo, going back into this, this acting performance that we're talking about? It's not a problem, uh, because, I mean, that's, that's, that's the method, right? That's their... Yeah, right, right. It's, 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 how they, it's how they go about inhabiting that character. So it's a problem for the production team, probably. <laughs> But it's not necessarily a problem within within the story, and usually, you know, I mean, especially with like big big actors, you know, you are getting the the most uh, Oscar worthy performance out of them. You know, as far as uh, moving and fidgeting and and the business, you know, it's 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 important, but not the business. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right. Just giving you the business right, somehow. Right. Not giving. If if you are yes, if you're playing Andy Kaufman, then you're certainly giving people the business. <laughs> but uh as as far as that goes it uh i mean this this uh, this movie is a good example of, of of seeing that starting and the other thing is is that you know in this movie everything's in focus at all times right pretty much yeah so you can see people milling around in the back all the time they're not just like standing around doing nothing you know the dock workers are like doing their thing and like pushing each other and all this stuff so it is nice. It is. It, it's a movie that achieves a very natural, um, a, a very natural look when compared to the movies that came prior to it. Let's uh, take a quick break and give a shout out to some of our uh, uh, listeners who contributed and made this podcast happen. Zach. Yes, let's do that. We would like to give a very heartfelt thank you to Michael Krug, William Young, Stephen Gilbert, Stephanie. Estes, Celias Garrett, yep, Jason Martin, Christian Walker. Oh no, (laughs) there's a, there's a, oh crap. You can do it. You can do it. (sighs) Sound it out. Sound it out. Joao Brazil. That first name's probably wrong. Eric Trevarthen and James Thatcher. Thank you, every single one of you. For donating to the Majors Brothers cause and helping keep all of this free content that we deliver to you going each and every week. So how many of you knew before you started doing some in-depth study about the history of this movie? I did not. Rodrigo? He's going to ask you. How how many of us knew what? Did you know the the backstory (laughs) of of Kazan Kazan and and why he, uh, he made this movie? No, I, I, no, I had no idea. Actually, uh, on the waterfront, like I just was just completely outside of the the scope of 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 the the films that I've studied. Like I, I had had it, I had heard it mentioned, but 
actually know very little about this movie. I think Matthew, did we watch this in film in our film class? I, I, I don't I, think so. I remember seeing the scene. I don't know if he was just showing us an excerpt from it or not. I, I know I've seen the scene a thousand times, and but... I, I know I've seen this movie before, so it had to have been in the film class for the first time that we saw it. And I didn't really pay much attention to it. And the one thing that I know that our instructor didn't talk to us about is the um, is HUAC, the uh, House uh, Subcommittee on. Uh, on American, American, American activities. American activities. I was on American activities committee. Yes. Basically, have you now or have you ever been a member of the Communist Party? Yes mm-hmm. or no. And if you refuse to answer that, you got blacklisted. And there were many people that got blacklisted during that time period, um, basically as a witch hunt mm-hmm. to try to root out potential evildoers. I mean, it's just it's a terrible thing. Um, Kazan, Kazan, Kazan. Um, he talked, he spilled the beans and he named names. Yeah. And a lot of people were like, how dare you, sir? How dare you? And I don't know if you ever get this way, Zach, when someone criticizes you and it's kind of human nature. When someone criticizes you, criticizes you about something you've done, Mm -hmm. how terrible a person you are, where you're just like, I'll just be like, you get to the point where it's like, I'll show them, I'll do this and show them what a good person I am or Mm -hmm. what I really want to do with this. And that's kind of how this movie came about. He had had the story. It was sitting around. And then people started criticizing him for naming names. And he says, well, I'll show you. I'll show a movie where you do, you know, rat on the bad guys and and what the good of all this is. I think it's interesting in that I think in movies as a whole, we always point all of the controversy or success of a movie to the director. Right. And I think this one plays into that a lot. Because Kazan uh, obviously had this background with this uh, Un-American Activities Committee, maybe names. But the writer, Schulberg, Mm -hmm. also testified in the same committee. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe he he didn't do the same thing as Kazan did. Mm Mm-hmm. But he actually started writing this story before the testimonies. Mm -hmm. But then, so his influence, I feel like, on this movie comes from a place of just just writing a story. Because that he uh, uh, investigated in in New York and wrote some part pieces for some New York Times or some magazines and newspapers and stuff. Actually based on on true events and a true person. And then... Kazan gets a hold of this story and proclaims in in his uh, autobiography. Oh, what is he? There's a quote. I have it. It is somewhere. It's right on this page. I know it is. Da, 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 da. Ah, uh, on the waterfront. This is Kazan. He says, "On the waterfront was my own story every day." I worked on that film. I was telling the world where I stood and my critics to go and uh, exploit attacks yeah. uh, themselves. So he he didn't write the story, but he right. directed it and then said, this is my story. So I think a lot of that gets put onto it, even though he didn't actually like write the story. He just mm-hmm. ended up directing mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't... Which I'm the first grip, and this is my story. Right. <laughs> well, uh, and he could be talking about this is his story because, like Terry, who goes through the redemption, this is my process of also going through redemption and fighting against corruption and evil and wrong and those people who said right. I was a bum. 
this is me showing you that I'm not a bum. And, it, you know, it, uh, or, you know, the movie went on to win eight Oscars. Yeah. Or at least got eight. It nominated eight, for nom- 11. Yeah. One of eight. So, I, I don't know. I, I actually read about this in the middle of viewing it because I had to, like, split my viewing time. Yeah. Which kind of left this, like, weird taste in my mouth watching the ending of it. Because when I mean, we always talk about um, like directorial intent, and we shouldn't impl- right. we shouldn't imply what we think this story means about the certain people that were involved, and that we should just uh, interpret it for what it is, right, not right, interpret right. it at all, or just right. enjoy it. But it's kind of hard <laughs> to have that mindset watching a film when saying, "Oh no, this is what I meant," and f all these people because yeah, this yeah. is me and I did the right thing. I don't know. I just still look at this film and it's just like, man, it gets so preachy at times. And not just from a religious standpoint, but it just feels like it just is, feels preachy to me throughout. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, there's some le- there's some legitimate, you know, actual preachy. Yeah, I know. I know that. <laughs> you know, it's not just when you get crucified on the cross. All- <laughs> and never leave home without your American Express. <laughs> right. And only the old people will understand that joke. On so. the streets of San Francisco. Sikulovich, get in here. <laughs> But it, I think that that's part of the point of the way the story is being told. I mean, part of that, I think, is we're in that transition from the old school, the, you know, Humphrey Bogart crosses the room and sits silently to the point where we get into the 70s and you get, you know, not only films where the actors are inhabiting those roles, but to the point where they, they improvise dialogue and it becomes part of the the actual story. Mm-hmm. I think that you kind of have to, as you go, you have to go through the really didactic phase of, and this is wrong, too. And I think that's where this movie falls. Yeah. That that preachiness is, is part of the transition from that, you know, that golden age storytelling to more of that thing that we see in the 60s and 70s. Um, I think the other thing that kind of really helps sell this movie, though, as, as, a, as a story mm-hmm. is that... They went and shot it on location in New Jersey. Yeah. Right. In a lot of locations. And Boris Kaufman, who was the um, director of photography, does use a little bit longer lens, make sure things are in focus. He does things so, you know, there's some real beauty in the contrast that he uses throughout the movie. Mm. In some places, it's very gray, like when he and Edie are kind of walking through the park and he's escorting her. There's not a huge contrast. It's kind of flat. But then in scenes where they're running down the alley and they discover his brother's dead body, I mean, things are really painted in hard blacks and whites. And when I say painted, I mean using the light to paint right. the scene. Um, for our listeners who don't know that stuff, uh, don't know that term. Um, and then when even at the end where he's very beat up and bloody, you have you know a lot of contrast in the image that really makes it stand out. Throughout the piece. I mean, was there there anything that really stood out for you as far as from the cinematography or the lighting or camera work or anything like that 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 came to light for you? Camera work, specifically, I think the the last sequence of uh, Terry going down to where the mob is sitting in the dock Mm -hmm. and then the fight and then specifically him uh, getting up and walking to the dock warehouse, whatever that thing was. I think that cinematography was really good. And then incorporating the uh, first-person view 
and shifting the focus from what Terry is seeing in the wibbly wobbly of him trying to stumble back and then yeah, yeah. still giving us perspective of what everyone else is right, right. looking at. I thought that scene and just that entire sequence was really well real shot and edited. You know, in, in, in traditional um lighting mm-hmm. we try to look at, you know, the key light, the fill light and a rim light. If you look at how they um let Eva Marie Saint, even in the darkest of rooms, She's got a huge rim light on her to where her hair just glows Close. all the time, yeah. almost like a halo. And she is a good, you know, church girl from from going to the uh, to the Catholic school upstate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she almost has that kind of appearance throughout the the entire film. Um, Rodrigo or Matthew, do you know any? Do you have any uh, information to add to this as far as the technical side of the movie? I think that the movie definitely. Uh, I think it, it does. It has this interesting thing about it where it like kind of like generates these like cool little tableaus. Mm-hmm. Um, so like the image of like after the sermon when the priest is being like climbs on the on the platform and he's being pulled back up and he like pulls out a cigarette and like it, that's if you if you look at that shot it's kind of long. Right, he's being like you know pulled back up, puts puts a cigarette in his mouth, looking cool. And then there's like the old timer next to him, you know, stuff like that, stuff like the um, just um, Terry sitting there with a drink in his hand or like with a gun in his hand, <laughs> like holding a drink with his uh, hand covered in blood, like right, his right, brother's right. blood. And like that just seems to take forever. And it's like the movie kind of creates these little like basically still images for you to remember um, as yeah. the movie goes. Yeah, and there's a lot of that. I like the fact that this doesn't feel as old as it is to me because of the amount of location in place. Mm. A lot of times when, you know, especially when, you know, when we were going through a Manchurian Candidate. Right. All of that movie seemed like it was a soundstage. Right, faked up. Probably yeah. because all of that movie was done on a soundstage. But at this kind of felt, I don't know if I would call it more modern but it felt of a different era because of the amount of actual outdoor that feels like outdoor or actual you know situations that don't feel like we are on a sound stage and they're going to rotate the day and something's going to come around and then we'll have a different background and we'll have another scene in the exact same place but now we're on a train so i i kind of felt that as far as construction there's a point where when you're watching a movie, you become aware of it. And there's a point where you kind of get into it and it's just invisible. And that's kind of the way this movie feels to me in terms of the construction. I didn't really focus a whole lot on the structure of what was going on because it just felt not necessarily even naturalistic, but it felt to the point where it was done well enough that that wasn't something that my brain would even catch because of the other things going on, because of, you know, the acting on screen or what we were actually seeing in terms of the characters in motion. I got a, I got a question for Zach. Okay. Mm-hmm. What do you, what do you think are the themes of this movie and how do you think they're, and how are they expressed? Ugh. That's a hard question. <laughs> uh, I hate Rodrigo question. Uh, Rodrigo. Why would you do that? All right. I'll, I'll, themes. I'll, okay. Um, I would place on this movie <laughs> <laughs> would be stalling to think of a better answer. Uh-huh. 
And how is that expressed with very, very long sentences? Long, long shots that are sentences. paint this images in your mind. Uh, I think the redemption thing is big and in, inner turmoil. Mm-hmm. And sticking it to the big guy. There's some there's there's some themes that are very close to the surface, right? Yeah. By by the end of the movie, this guy tells on the gangsters, which means that by you know, he is any number of things, including a pigeon. Right. And pigeons are very prominently featured in in this movie. Um and it's not just that he's a pigeon and he deals with pigeons, but um he is very frequently inside the pigeon coop and he has conversations mm-hmm. with people where he is on the inside of this fence and they are on the outside. So it kind of gives you this idea of basically this is the world that he's trapped in. Um, and, and really only by becoming a pigeon, does he actually manage to exit it in some way? I mean, he, he manages to get away from the, the cage that is the, 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 the mob. Mm-hmm. Um, if so, you go back and watch it, yeah, look at, the conversations that he has with Edie and who is inside the cage at any given point, like how it's shot and who has basically a wire in front of their face. Hmm. And that'll, that'll tell you a lot about what kind of who at the time is feeling oppressed by the situation and who is free because they're either sticking to their guns or they're, you know, trying to do the right thing. Okay. So do you think, in that moment when the little boy kills all of his pigeons, do you think that signifies two things? One being that this little safe haven that he'd essentially established for himself was no longer there and that his life was in danger. And that also in some weird way actually freed him from being essentially in that pigeon cage because of the mob. That's, that's that's a that's a very valid reading. I would say, yeah, that that, that definitely works. You can you can certainly argue that. Good work. Well done. The uh, on the one waterfront won uh, Oscars for best motion picture, best director, best actor, best story and screenplay, best supporting actress, best art direction, set decoration in black and white, best cinematography black and white, and best film editing. Uh, was nominated also for best score for of a dramatic or comedy picture, best supporting actor, best supporting. Oh, all three of the guys, uh, Lee J. Cobb, Carl Malden, and uh, Rod Steiger, were all nominated for best supporting actors. The uh, Oscar went to uh, Edmund O'Brien for the uh, Barefoot uh, Contessa. So interesting. All right, Zach, what did you learn from this film? That's always the the question that we ask. Yeah. I learned one thing from On the Waterfront, which I felt they didn't do a great job of or some place that it kind of lacked. In the editing, I thought there were some great sequences of editing, uh, especially the one when Terry and Edie are, he's confessing to what he's done, and you don't really hear it, that the ship horn going off, and they use the, you know what's happening because of the story before. And they use the cuts to show her reactions and him almost inaudibly telling her what happened. I thought that was really good editing. But I think some moments when they're just on the dock, the editing didn't feel as motivated. And I felt like it was very noticeable. 
and that's when I actually started looking at the editing because I felt some edit some cuts just didn't feel right. Right. And as I paid attention more, it was because sometimes when they would do a a cut in the same conversation, the like background volume would shift, mm. which really brought into the fact that they just made a cut. So editing away visually and audibly to just let editing editing happen naturally and not make it so noticeable is one thing I took away from on the waterfront and just the editing in general and shot composition of the acting as it evolved. I think uh, they allowed their characters to, or the actors to actually act by shooting the uh, movie in certain ways, but then also enhance their performance by shooting tighter and cutting at certain points also. So I think they balanced the act of uh, shooting enough to watch character interactions, but also shooting enough uh, tights to show the emotion that all the actors were able to convey throughout the film. Second question. Yep. Did your girlfriend watch this with you? She watched the first like hour and 10, and then that was my first viewing session, and she didn't watch the rest of it with me. What did she think of that? Yeah, she didn't really like it. Okay. She doesn't like old movies. Which really bugs me now. Could we discuss this yesterday? And what'd she uh, say? I mean, she just goes, old movies, they're for old people. It's black yeah. and white. It's stupid. Yeah. It's, and then I gave her all these examples of the old Disney movies and like Wizard of Oz of being old movies. Like, well, there are, she likes seeing if, if, the, if the old movie is a musical of some sort, then she'll watch it and be more interested, apparently. Did she watch Singing in the Rain with you? No. Uh... Singing in the rain is uh, not no. She tried to, but Amazon stream was oh, being that's weird right. that one time. That's right. Okay. She did think that the priest looks like John C. Riley. Oh, really? And after I watched some more of it, I was like, "Yeah, there's some <laughs> moments he looks like John C. Yeah, Riley." Yeah. I can see yes. that. I can see that. All right, uh, Rodrigo, what grade do you give him, Zach, this week? I'll, I'll definitely give him a pass. I think that although he wasn't going in thinking about themes and how they were expressed. I think that he watched the movie closely enough to be able to um, generate some on the fly. And sometimes that's exactly what film theory seems to be. Yes. <laughs> Matthew. I agree. I would say he did very well. I'm going to go with B plus plus. Wow. Definitely. Like yeah. Nine right? and a half. Uh, I'll well, go. Don't, yeah, you, yeah. you had it. I'm going to have to knock it back down to a B because you said that. <laughs> uh, I'll give you an A minus, Zach. You really did some homework on this. Really thought about stuff a lot more uh, than what you have in the past. I think, and Ooh. I think it's because it's building upon week after week because you know, oh, certainly, par- partly some of the areas that we're going to touch on because they're recurring questions and common <laughs> areas that we t- continually touch on. So I think you're a little bit more heightened for those things, and that's good. It's always good. Um, so yeah, I think a good A minus this week. Sweet. So that will wrap us up this week on Zach on Film. Thanks for downloading this issue from iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, make sure to head over to Majorspoilers.com, though, and click on this podcasting posting. There's a lot of P's in there. And give your thoughts on on the waterfront and any, uh, any thoughts and dislikes and likes you have in that movie. But make sure to also click on the Amazon.com link on that front page and go to Amazon and buy all of your movie needs and watch... All the movies we discuss here on Zach on Film. It won't cost you any extra if you do that, but a little bit will come back to us. 
and it'll just help us keep these podcasts afloat. Next week on Zach on Film, we are discussing It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. And we'll discuss that next week on Zach on Film. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824.